Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Movie Club, a community of superhero movie fans, all nerds welcome, but please wipe your feet at the door. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Maurer, joined by the movie maestro, James Schuyler Houtsma, and the scientific scholar, Ben Anderson. SHMC is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week, we continue on our journey, exploring your favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently. So we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, music, or science, SHMC talks about it all in this week's episode. The big story today, the much-anticipated wedding, a fantastic couple, Reed Richards and Susan Storm, will take place this okay, Saturday. I'm going to give you something special. It's called Unbelievable. Bizarre anomalies have been occurring all over the world. Defying every known law of physics. And all the media want to know about is what China patterns you and I picked out. Hey, which one did you pick? The blue ones with them little flowers? I really like them. Would you mind? It's happening again, isn't it? Uh, yeah, sure. No. We're not postponing anything. Not this time. This is going to be the wedding you've always dreamed of. And I'm not going to let anything get in the way of that. Not even the mysterious transformation of matter at the subatomic level. It's the most romantic thing you've ever said to me. Which is really pathetic when you think about it. Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Is there a two at the end of that Fantastic Four title? I That's don't believe question. so. No, I think it's just... I've got the Wikipedia page here. It's just Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Because yeah. that would be really dumb to have a title where the main group has a number in it, and then you would also put the sequel number in it. Because then it would be fast, Fantastic 42. And yeah. people would be like, what happened to the first 41? Well, I mean, if you spell out the word for, and the, oh, we're, we're, we're addressing this topic too much. Uh, let's go around first opinions of the film. We're going to start with Skyler. Uh, I used to be kind of, eh, meh, you know, blah, 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 on Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. But I must say... After seeing the new and improved Fantastic Four, now I'm more like, eh, yeah, yeah, this is Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, whatever. Um, not a particularly good movie. Uh, it's fluffy and entertaining and accessible for kids. Uh, still suffers from some woefully miscast uh, characters. Action isn't terribly interesting, and neither are the characterizations. There's nothing... There's nothing deeper go- going on than fluffy superheroics, but hey, it's a good time kill. Okay. And go ahead, Ben. Oh, shit, the cat's on my bed. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that this movie is actually that much better than the newest Fantastic Four movie. I watched it. It was pretty bad. Um, well, you have to describe why, Benjamin. Describe why. Um, four le- Four letters. I'll give you a hint. It's fuck no. Um, tone. <laughs> the tone was completely off. Uh, because in to my, in my mind, like yes, Fantastic Four. They're like you know this kind of kind of campy superhero family, you know. Um, and they're 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 fun and lighthearted. But to me, Silver Surfer is a, a bit of a tragic figure. And so 
the movie should have dealt with that more. I don't know. It it just felt it should have been darker for, because of the Silver Surfer's in it. Oh, okay. Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Again, when you uh, Skywars right when you when when you look back at it after seeing the 2015, if you compare the Fantastic Four 2015 to any superhero movie, I think outside of like Batman and Robin or some of the truly truly dreadful things of before 2000 uh or maybe not Catwoman uh, the 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 other superhero movie is going to come out on top but when when looking back at Fantastic Four Silver Surfer I remember watching this film originally and going ah this is just another sequel and it's it's fluff there's uh I really appreciate Michael Chiklis's acting as the thing Chris Evans does a wonderful job as Human Torch. Iowan Grufford is is very bland as Reed. He doesn't really put anything into the performance. And please, Jessica Alba, that was probably some of the worst acting she's she's ever done. And I, and it's a shame too because she's not, I don't think, a bad actress overall. But in this role, she was so dull. And just she had she filled no role other than to be the girl of the movie, and it was kind of offensive. <laughs> um, but Ben, you're right in that when you put Silver Surfer in the title and you don't really focus on him at all in the film, it can bring it down. But looking back at Fantastic Four, I gotta give props to the attempt to really center on all the core aspects of what the F4 are all about. You know, Reed's the the smart one who does all this science gibbery gook and who is constantly involved in his work that it alienates his personal life. Johnny is the goof around who, in the end, takes a big, courageous step to prove that he's not a kid anymore. The thing is this tortured figure who's just, you know... He's, he does everything to help everyone, but people still reject him because of his exterior... And, of course, Sue does her best to keep the family together, as dysfunctional as it is, and really wants to raise a family, even though there's a family in front of her. And, you know, this movie does really well in hitting those points. Um, maybe not, like, 100% on target, but, but like, it addresses them, unlike completely discarding and not really replacing those core values with anything of substance – like in the 2015 Fantastic Four, and we're only comparing it so much because it's so fresh in our minds. So looking back, I gotta say, I give Rides of the Silver Surfer a lot more credit than I originally intended, simply because it it did its best at really trying to bring the original Fantastic Four comic books onto the screen. And it also it creates another example of you can't translate that stuff literally because it's going to come off cheesy, corny, and it's not going to look that great. But at the same time, they did their best, and I think they came out with a pretty serviceable product. I just have a couple I, things I want to add. When you texted me the other day reminding me to watch this, you called it FF2, and I was very excited to watch uh, Fast and Furious 2. <laughs> um too fast, too furious. And then I was like, oh, wait, that's not a comic book movie. Um, but I, 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 I'm on the casting, I think if Dwayne The Rock Johnson played, you know, The Rock from Fantastic Four, I think that would have been great. <laughs> he would have been perfect for that role. 
Um, I, I, also, I still think Chiklis was was did very well. Yeah, he he was a he was a decent choice, probably the best cast um, in the movie. But um, the other thing I had was my other big beef with this movie was the whole like the whole message of we're more than a team, we're a family, we have to work together. And then like in the in like the final big action scene when they face off against against um, the Silver Surfer in Doom. They're just like, okay, Johnny Blaze, you you take everyone, like you just go, you do it. Even though, <laughs> like three action scenes ago, you did this and it was terrible, and we told you never to do, do it again. I don't know. I, I feel like they're they're kind of inconsistent there with their with their yeah. message. It was yeah, it wasn't perfect, but it it tried to hit on the point that Johnny's really stepping up and being the courageous member because he's proven he's not a kid anymore. But but you're right because like the typical Fantastic Four. And conflict is that they solve the big issue by working together. But if the 2015 film has proved anything, that is now a cliche of an ending. All right, so to, so to pick things up, uh, let's talk about the the budget on this film or uh, how much money it brought in with a with a production budget of around 130 million dollars. Did doesn't didn't Ant Man have that exact same production budget? If I recall correctly, yeah, that so- number sounds pretty similar, and that's eight years displaced, so... Yeah. Either Ant-Man's really cheap, or this was ahead of its time. <laughs> well, well, it brought in about the same amount of money, $131.9 million, and in foreign, you know, a little bit more, 157 for a grand total of $289 million, but I mean, that's that's no runaway success. But that's still good enough to get by. Right. This movie came out mid June of uh, 2007, a couple of weeks after the third Pirates movie and the third Ocean's Eleven, a uh, couple of weeks before the first Transformers movie. So it had a window to do be successful. But well, well, it, yeah, it didn't. It wasn't building from the original. Is the thing. No, not really. I mean, I don't think a whole lot of people came out of the first Fantastic Four movie like, oh, I need a sequel right now. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It It's a movie that made its budget back, made a profit for Fox, and, uh, you know, it existed. It wasn't a runaway success, but it did its job. Yeah, and that's something we probably need to, to to discuss a little bit. I'm sure many of our fans already know, but when you when you talk money on a Fantastic Four film, everything is so skewed because this film it's it's weird that like making money in some aspect has become a a lowered priority because more than anything, the film just needs to get made. And and we always say money is a concern, but this is weird because 20th Century Fox owns the rights to put Fantastic Four characters on film in movies. And this, I believe it's a seven-year contract, whereas uh, if they don't put out a product, a film product that features the Fantastic Four, they have to relinquish those licensed properties. So every seven years, you get a very kind of rushed Fantastic Four film, and that's just why we 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 as the fans kind of feel cheated because they're not trying to produce a quality product. 
they're trying to to make but I, I'm sure they are trying to produce a quality product but at the same time they're not planning accordingly with what they're given because they it they're not take they're not allowed to take their time and they won't so they'll just every seven years we'll, we might get some some dumbed down version of what is a great comic book property whether it be movies or video games whatever kind of media when you put a release date as your first priority it almost always automatically hampers the quality of it so that can stand for basically anything yeah it's just putting pressure and people don't respond well to pressure uh most of the time but let's go on and move towards comic book relations and how the comic book characters of the Fantastic Four were how they have influenced this film. So starting off, the story of Fantastic Four to Rise of the Silver Surfer is based on a very famous trilogy of, of comic books came out in uh, the 1960s called the, the Galactus Trilogy. And these were Fantastic Four number 48 through 50, donned by Stanley and Jack Kirby. And this, of course, is the big story where you introduce characters like Galactus and the Silver Surfer, and you have characters like the, the big-headed Watcher who is who vows never to interfere in Earth's doings but does so all the time. Very similar to how Heimdall does it in Thor, where it's just like, you know, I'm not allowed to take you anywhere, but uh, I'm just going to leave the sword here, and uh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> that is the Watcher. And so the the Silver Surfer, in the end of it, saves the day by fighting back Galactus, and they use this thing called the Ultimate Nullifier, which is a device that can destroy universes, and they use it as like a deterrent against Galactus so that he doesn't eat their world. But the big thing about this, the reason this was so monumental, besides introducing so much sci-fi juicy goodness, is this was probably some of Jack Kirby's best art. He knocked this stuff out of the park. And it is just such great space sci-fi goodness. Uh, it can be a little bit of a rough read considering that it's a 50-year-old story. But, you know, the essence is still very much there. Uh, the story of in the film is also slightly based on Fantastic Four Annual number 3 as well, which was, of course, the, the wedding of Reed Richards and Sue Storm. But that comic book is way different because it's just a fan service where Marvel all-star heroes and villains just show up to disrupt the wedding in any way possible. So let's talk about some other things that were introduced in the film, such as the Fantasticar which appeared in Fantastic Four number three. And this is a, a classic callback to basically how the Fantastic Four get around, because when you've got a guy like The Thing, you got to explain how he gets from point A to point B without having their own private jet, which they do. Uh, and it was just a little bit of a, a fun cameo. There's no real utilitous need to put the Fantastic Car in a movie, but I don't get why we always need to have it in all of Fantastic Four properties. What was that really gratuitous uh, product placement line that uh, happened between uh, Johnny and Reed? Is that a Hemi? Of course. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And That's then, Dodge Ram. And then I puked. 
<laughs> and that was yeah, I don't know. That was some, there's all there were so many throwaway lines in the movie like that that just brought it down. Uh, at 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 its core, they were doing a really good thing, but when some of those lines were just like, why why would you write something so trite into the script that just doesn't build towards anything? Uh, the the next character I want to talk about is is Frankie Ray, who is the the U.S. Army uh, lady friend that eventually Johnny hooks up with in the end. She, she she was more of a cameo in that she barely had more than five ten lines in the film, uh, but she was made in in 1975 by Roy Thomas and George Perez, and she's notable because she she dated Johnny Storm despite having a fear of fire like literal pyrophobia, and it's also ironic because she later turned out to be a mutant who had the almost the exact same power set as the Human Torch. And then she had an estranged period where she volunteered to be Galactus's new herald and donned the moniker Nova for a while. And it's a, it's a fun character in, in history, but uh, in terms of the film, not a whole lot going on. Next up, I'm going to talk about Alicia Masters. Uh, she debuted in Fantastic Four number eight in 1962, and this isn't her first appearance. Uh, she did premiere, of course, at the very end of the first Fantastic Four, but this is the first time she gets more than like three lines. Uh, she is, of course, the 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 blind daughter of a of a Fantastic Four villain called the Puppet Master, and she's known for her relationship with Ben. You know, being blind, not being able to see the grotesque figure that Ben Grimm has as the thing. But unfortunately, she's sort of portrayed as frequently a damsel in distress. There's no real attempt to make her in, in like an independent blind woman. No real attempt to make her kind of a female daredevil. She's she's sort of like at the mercy of everyone around her. Like when when things start going down, she's like, "What's happening? What's going on?" And and you kind of feel like if the helicopter is coming down on you, you would in, like in that Fantastic Four two scene. You would you would understand the situation. Loud noises probably get down. Yeah, you'd kind of think, but Stanley's writing of women in the sixties. Bah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's writing of the women in the sixties. Almost, almost as sexist as the this movie. Yeah, kind of. Uh, and <laughs> her <laughs> her significance is that she is the character originally who shows the Silver Surfer that there is beauty in the earth, and eventually converts him to fight back against Galactus instead of Sue Storm. But I can understand the use of Sue Storm to sort of compact the story more. Next up, we're getting finally to the big two characters who were introduced in this movie. And first of them is Galactus. All right. Debuted, of course, in Fantastic Four number 48. Talked about that. Lee and Kirby. And he is pure sci-fi amazingness. He is the brainchild of Stanley and Jack Kirby's many brainstorming sessions. Um, his backstory is an explorer named Galan, who was in the universe that existed before the Big Bang. And then an event called the Big Crunch happened, which it killed every single molecule in the universe and compressed it all down, which eventually resulted in the Big Bang. But he was the only survivor of this big crunch and bonded with the sentience of the universe and thus became Galactus. <laughs> there is just so there's just so he needs he needs of course he needs energy, 
of entire planets to sustain himself. He lives on a, a solar system-wide Mobius Strip spaceship called Tala 2, I think. And he it's an entire planet's worth of energy just to maintain that bitchin' headpiece he has. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and he, uh, yes, he's, yeah, he's a, he's a frequent Marvel big baddie. Uh, which, yeah, uh, let, let's talk about the headpiece real quick, because I want to ask the fans, because I couldn't figure this out. Is there a utility to why the headpiece is shaped like that? Is he is it part of his head? Is that how his head is literally shaped? Um, or does he have a normal-looking head, humanoid head underneath there? I'm asking the fans here, because I couldn't find out. So that is our social media fan challenge. Tweet it, tweet your answers to us, or respond to the show notes of this episode at our subreddit. Ben? Yeah, go to rat.com, search Superhero Movie Club. Boom. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> seriously, why does he have that such ridiculous helmet? And, you know, in the movie, they sort of made the choice to not go with that helmet, but instead make him a world-eating cloud which angered a lot of fans because they wanted to see Big Head Guy. Um, but, of course, if you're a studio executive, I can completely understand why you do not want to go that route. Uh, side note, as long as we're talking about villains sucking, Doom still sucked in this movie. Thank oh, you. Yeah. I Honestly, I was seeing if we could go through the whole episode without bringing up how uh, we hate Doom in this film. Um, I'm going to go at length about Doctor Doom in the first Fantastic Four movie because they divert, they just change so much about that character to the point where it's just, it's not even fun anymore. Uh, there's only one other thing I want to note in that in the Ultimate Marvel Universe, there is a there's a massive planet flesh-eating swarm called Galactus, and where they just, you know, enunciate the three syllables instead of making it one. What? That's pretty silly. Yeah. That's the inspiration for why using a cloud instead of uh, a guy with a big head in the film. And it, the thing about the cloud is it's not very menacing. It's because it's not you don't you don't really feel the danger. We don't see it do anything until it shows up on Earth. Yeah. After the Silver Surfer already made all those craters, and we're like, okay, well. Uh... Yeah. So that's that was the big big thing about Galactus is like he's gonna end your planet. Well, it doesn't really feel like it. Like you're not you're not preempting the crisis at all. And I guess in a real world situation, we wouldn't know it would just happen. But it's a movie, guys. Make it exciting. <laughs> I can just see the board meeting for when Green Lantern was being made, and they're like, "Oh, hey, people really loved that Fantastic Four movie where the Cloud was the villain. Let's do that." No, no, no. We need to put a face on it because they didn't like how there wasn't a face. Yes, clearly that was the problem. Clearly, clearly. All right, yeah. see you at 2011, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and so the last character I want to talk about is, of course, the big one, the titular Silver Surfer. Uh, originally, he was shoehorned into this Galactus comic book storyline by Jack Kirby. Kirby drew him into the story and pitched the Herald idea to Stan. Um, and Stanley's like, we didn't talk about this, Jack. Or also, why does he have a surfboard? Jack Kirby responded by saying, because he's sick of drawing spaceships. Because that's all Stan Lee would do in his stories, would just have so many spaceships. But the, the, the origin story of, the, I'm sorry, the fictional biography 
of the Silver Surfer is, of course, he's a man named Norin Rad of the planet Zen Law, married to a woman named Shalabal. <laughs> Say that 18 times fast. Uh, he's also an explorer whose species reached utopian status and therefore had no need for exploration. So it discouraged him from exploring because why would you go anywhere, Norin, when everything you could ever want is right in front of you? It's kind of an interesting premise, actually. Uh, Galactus comes around to Zen Law in his early years and starts eating the planet slowly, and Norin makes a deal to be his herald. You know, I'll do this job for you. I'll zoom out, find good planets, uh, and you won't eat this one. And he's like, okay, fine. But Norin made the, made the idea of I'm only going to lead him to non-sentient life planets. But of course... Galactus was going to have none of that, so in the transformation to imbue the power cosmic into Norinrad, Galactus also changed his soul and converted him into the Silver Surfer, which had no regard for sentient life, until Alicia Masters showed him differently in the Coming of Galactus storyline, where Silver Surfer defied Galactus, was disowned as a herald, and trapped on Earth with an invisible force field that only affected him. God, I love... I, I'm sorry if I'm going too far into the backstory here, but I love just the random sci-fi stuff that Stan Lee can come up with. Silver Surfer is a really great, really great character. Yeah. There's a really great episode of the um, 90s Fantastic Four cartoon, and when I say really great, I mean... Verging on mediocre, because that show is not that great. But it's the last episode. It's based on the comic where Doom eventually steals the surfer's powers and whatnot, as he does in this movie. And the uh, invisible force field comes into play, because Rita essentially just tricks him into going up into space to destroy this thing, and he wipes out on this force field and gets disintegrated. And it's amazing. Oh my god, they killed Doom? Oh, <laughs> I guess I didn't. I didn't watch all of that. Uh, but yeah, that that invisible force field has is stays in play for such a long time because all Silver Surfer wants to do is go back to Zen Law. So with the help of Reed Richards, he penetrates the invisible force field, goes back to Zen Law to see it completely uh, barren, and then he finds out that Shalabal was kidnapped by Marvel equivalents of the Devil Mephisto. So then he traps himself back on Earth by going through the force field again, frees. Shalabal from Mephisto, where then he sends her to back to Zen Law with the power to reestablish that world, and then he finds another way to get through the Force Field again. Goes back to Zen Law, finds Shalabal is queen of Zen Law, and their love can now never be because she owes too much to the people. He is a really tortured, tragic character. He's constantly the fish out of water because he is the one character that can access any situation without regard for social context. And that it, it allowed him to grow into Stanley's favorite character because it allowed him to make do a lot of social commentary on different issues and, and in a poetic way. So you could talk about the Vietnam War from a complete outsider perspective or different humanitarian struggles. Once uh, Fox or Marvel or whoever gets their act together with Fantastic Four, Silver Surfer, all related characters. We need a good Mephisto on screen. 
Well, there's a there's a um, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Oh wait, no, that's Kid Fisto. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Mephisto's owned by Marvel now. Yeah, because because Mephisto falls under the Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider. Uh, yeah. ca- characters. Speaking of which, I think I accidentally called the Human Torch Johnny Blaze earlier. <laughs> you would like to rescind that from the that record? Was, that was my bad. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, the only other thing I can say is there is actually a 12-episode season-long Silver Surfer animated TV show drawn in the style of Jack Kirby. Um, it is a fantastic show. Uh, I wouldn't say it was meant for kids because he is. Re- there's a lot of existential script in that in that very small run, and of course, it ends halfway through a season finale too, a two-parter. It doesn't come out with its last episode. It got canceled before that last episode. But definitely check it out, because it's actually a lot of really fun, cool 90s cartoon good stuff. There's a lot of good Marvel stuff that came out in the 90s that was meant for kids slash not meant for kids slash some of it's good, some of it's bad. Ah, I, I, don't, I don't know how to fully explain it. It was a weird time. It's what a lot of us grew up on, really. Uh, but that's all I have to say about comic books. So Skylar... Take it away to the music. Describe to us some music stuff that went along with Fantastic Four 2, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Alrighty-o, then. Uh, music for Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, is done by John Ottman, composer of the first Fantastic Four movie, and someone we've talked to about uh, before on the show in our X-Men Days of Future Past episode. Uh, much like the music to the first Fantastic Four movie, uh, this is another fluffy, bright, uh, run-of-the-mill superhero score that fits perfectly with the, mu- the movie that it accompanies. Let's take our first listen to Chasing the Surfer, uh, accompanying the, I don't know, I guess you'd say most known scene of the film where Johnny is chasing down the the surfer after uh, Reed and Sue's wedding. Skylar, I sure hope you're not leading with probably one of the best musical moments of the movie. I didn't think so. I I thought I picked out uh, enough good stuff to sustain the section, but if you <laughs> I, feel I just, that way. That, 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 was, that was just one of my favorite moments of, well, musically. No, it, it's rock solid, I would say. Um, let's see what uh, we've got for the next item up in the queue here. Uh, next up in the list is Botched Heroics. Let's see if that can uh, match the last track in quality.
Skyler, what do you think distinguishes a John Ottman score from the rest? Oh, man, I'm trying to... I've been trying to put my finger on, you know, what is so significant about his music. And it's tough to say because the melodies usually aren't too pronounced. I feel like he's trying to uh, imitate John Williams in some regard uh, in how he uh, layers his stuff. But um, in on the whole, I'd say it's kind of a brighter sound from him that uh, tips you off to the fact that this is one of his scores. I also thought it was really funny in uh, picking out these tracks that the dude's definitely got a formula because for two of them, uh, it was 50 seconds to... Uh, a minute and 29, two times in a row. So he's got his rhythm for tracks down, apparently. Oh, oh, like like they build to a certain point at a at the same point? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, just introduce it for the first 50 seconds, then the interesting part kicks in, and then you get a break around 1.30. Bing, bang, boom. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm making a score here. What do you want me to do? Bing, bang, bam, boom. Bam, bam, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> John Ottman is just like the the pizza boss from Futurama. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm making a score here. Don't touch the tubas. <laughs> They're not ready yet. <laughs> All right, let's listen to the last uh, track I've got for the section, and that is Pursuing Doom. There's so much chasing and pursuing and going after in this score. I don't even know what to do anymore. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say it. I don't think John Ottman is the, the right man for Fantastic Four. Not to say this wasn't a great set of songs and score. This wasn't a great score because I think I think it, it very much is. Uh, it, 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 it's very engaging. It keeps you in tune. But at the same time, his style, I don't think, captures the mood of this film. Actually, I don't think – I think you're, it settles back on what Ben said earlier in that – this film doesn't really have a locked and solid tone. No, I would agree with that. I think that um, he, this is one of the films where he kind of follows the director more than does his own thing in that the tone goes back and forth, whatnot. And the music reflects that it works perfectly with the movie, but the movie's uh, problems can translate over to music easily. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what do you think uh, the music for a good Fantastic Four movie needs? Well, that's such an interesting question because we have yet to really settle on what direction we want the story to go for in the first place. Because the these films, uh, 
that were both directed these these the 2004 right that was when that first one came out five the 2005 and the now oh, 2012 oh my oh, god sorry 2015 <laughs> was the one this year 2005 no, 2007 okay so these two films 2005 and 2007 one that were directed by Tim Story uh, you 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 see that he's he's drawing a lot of inspiration from the comic books and the original dynamic that these characters had in their beginning in the 1960s, and that's a 50 year old dynamic that isn't really exactly the same today. It could use some modernization, and the film doesn't really translate that that well. So we get a lot of corniness, a lot of a lot of trite conversation that isn't really necessary to the plot, and you're not you're not you're you're busy developing the relationships between the characters but not the characters on their own outside of the thing is the only one that really gets dived into um and in this 2015 version you get a little bit darker but it didn't fully commit to the darkness is the thing so it's hard to determine what do you want do you want light and fluffy fantastic four do you, do you want more of that? Do you want a cerebral Fantastic Four? Do you want a very dark, horrific? Because that would be just an interesting turn on the whole property because we haven't seen it before. And we're just, we don't know yet what we want out of this five-decade-old team that has hundreds of stories. It, it goes back to what we were talking about during Watchmen. Um, you cannot translate a comic book directly to the to a film medium it just does not work it comes across you know corny cheesy or just you know just weird it feels wrong <laughs> yeah i cuz i don't i don't know if watchmen's the the best analogy cuz watchmen was covering like the script of that one story word by word whereas this movie is taking the fantastic four from one era and picking that version of it to put onto screen, it's it's kind of similar to to like the the, the Spider-Man films. They didn't really settle very much on the the modern Spider-Man, or uh, it really it really went to the origin of the of Spider-Man, and the, you get a kind of a 1950 a 1960s Spider-Man in those Sam Raimi films, and for some reason that translated a bit better and holds up better than these do. I don't. It's it's so hard to put a to the figure on what clicks. What about this story clicks outside of they're a family, and you want to see a superhero family succeed because every other superhero is on their own. I think what we can all agree on is it would be great to have a filmmaker who is actually interested in making a great Fantastic Four movie instead of a studio that's trying to hit a release date. That's yeah. yeah. That's the biggest yeah. deterrent of this entire property. So, but I, we detracted a bit far from music there. So, is there any other music you want to talk about? No, I'm good. What's up, Ben? We need we need to Guillermo del Toro to get do the Hellboy treatment to this, or like whoever whoever likes Fantastic Four as much as Guillermo likes Hellboy. Really? That's who we need. I don't know who that is, if that person even exists, but uh, Matthew Vaughn. Yeah. Matthew Vaughn's a huge Fantastic Four fan. He was the producer on the 2015 one, wasn't he? I I believe so, yeah. But um 
that one just had a massive problem, so. Well, yeah. Uh, wasn't he supposed to make a Fantastic Four movie back in, like, 2002? That would have been a period piece, and it had uh, Charlize Theron and Jude Law in it. Oh, I don't know. I do remember that there were plans for a 2004, I think, uh, Silver Surfer standalone um, that that sort of fell apart uh, due to budget concerns, I think. No, the script never made it out of development hell. Understandable. Just to give another segue so you can cut easier. <laughs> no, I don't have anything more in music. Thank you. Uh, so, you know what that means? Ben... Hey. I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> Didn't oh, wait, even I, ask I, you I jumped how the gun. I jumped you the jumped gun. I'm the so gun. Sorry. <laughs> You're messing with the system, man. Oh, man. Our, our whole, our whole, our whole, our whole rapport is just, is, it's coming <laughs> out the window behind me. Oh well, let's see if you can pick yourself up in <laughs> this science edition of this podcast. And yeah. uh, <laughs> there is so little going on in this film even though Reed Richards is a scientist like the smartest in the world it is so vaguely explained that you could you you oh. you would barely believe it oh it's not explained at all he's just like here's this thing i made it does something go use it and we're like okay it's a comic book movie what 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 uh, what do you want yeah. To be fair, that's exactly what he does in the comic books in the early times. It's still what he does. Yeah. He solves problems by creating a magic doohickey. It's it's very true to the source material. Um, um, so, science. Um, cosmic so, radiation, I guess. Uh, let's let's uh talk about real quick. Just just real quick. Uh, do you remember when Reed Richards was trying to figure out where the Silver Surfer was going to strike next? And there was all of these dancing equations on the screen describing and creating this algorithm. Yeah, I tried. I tried like pausing and going frame by frame. Like, oh, what's that one? What's that one? Um, but I, I honestly couldn't be bothered. Okay, um, it's all right. It could just be gibberish. It, it basically, um, I'm guessing what he's doing is he is finding the latitude and longitude of the different places and then ordering them in the order that they appeared, and then finding some uh some pattern some pattern yeah and then creating a polynomial inter in interpolation um, <laughs> okay which which just means he's finding a line a smooth line that connects all these points and then a correlation to, it's called yeah it's called interpolation okay um, and yeah basically he's just like finding a line but in like Across a sphere, <laughs> so I'm I'm taking a numerical methods class, and we're it's all right now. We just finished the chapter on polynomial interpolation, interpolation, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. So that's probably what he's doing. He's just fitting a curve, but like around a sphere. Okay. Are, and then being like, okay, well, um, you know, it's going to show up here because there's a pattern. Right. Uh, science, magic, whatever. <laughs> uh, you you wh which one would you rather talk about? Uh, first year pre pre Big Bang universe or yeah, the possibilities so, of because okay. because Galactus's origins we talked about them earlier the best way to to get at the whole big crunch um, origin of Galactus's 
or the, the aspect of Galactus's origin is if you fast forward the universe until it's over, whatever that means. Um, mm-hmm. One of the more popular models for how the end of the universe might go down is that like how the universe began with a big bang, with a sudden expansion of space that represented the beginning of time, matter, energy, and everything. Um, the idea is that gravity will pull the universe back together and everything will crunch down back to that infinitesimally small point that it started at. At which point, it would presumably begin again. There'd be another big bang. Oh, so if so, I was at the center of this, I would bond with the sentience of the universe? You'd be crushed down to something infinitesimally small, unfortunately. There, there's not much, you know. Darn. Not, not really anything that could survive that. I was hoping if this career in Chicago didn't work out, I could just bank on that. You could you could throw yourself into a black hole and be kind of similar, but oh yeah. yeah, you'd be crushed down to almost nothing at all. I suppose Galactus is a black hole. Yeah, if if he devours whole planets, although black holes don't like need to consume things, they're just mm. like very dense. So but they, they just do. yeah, they just yeah, they just do. Yeah, but I mean, so does Galactus. He just does you don't really know why outside of he needs it to survive I, that's kind of what i that's always it. understood but maybe he yeah. just consumes planets because that's what he does yeah he's never really tested out if he didn't could we don't know if he didn't need a planet would he die yeah. what, what's, no, what's no his motivations like it. is it survival is he just a force of nature i kind of i'm kind of guessing he's just a force of nature but i I haven't just, read that many Galactus-related storylines, so... Uh. <laughs> it's just to show up that, that this conflict's going to be big, because Galactus he, he is here. He represents, I'm guessing, like most, like most comic book villains that were created in the 60s and 70s, he represents nuclear Armageddon. Uh, not in this case, actually. This, oh, is really? just, this is pure sci-fi. Well, I, I mean, you can have sci-fi villains that represent... Nuclear Armageddon. It was the Cold War, man. How could it not be nuclear Armageddon? Everything was about nuclear Armageddon. Well, be, because the the main motivation of uh, now we're getting back into comic books. The main it motivation is of Galactus to is planet. It is imminent, and there's nothing we can do to prevent it. And it's the '60s. Or okay. And the ultimate nullifier was a detente. It was sort of it's a, mutually assured destruction. Is a deterrent advice or a, yeah. a deterrent. They don't beat him. They just convince him not to show up. It's it's true. I guess it is another Cold War reflection. What do you know? Okay, so let's talk about cosmic radiation. Cosmic radiation. The so, main uh, staple. Oh, let me let me explain real quick. Cosmic radiation in the comic book verse. Go for it. Because comic book radiation is the origin. Uh, or cosmic radiation is the origin of the Fantastic Force powers. They were in space. They got bombarded by cosmic rays, uh, which is a thing that Stanley made up. Okay, I'm just going to say that, and there might be some sort of real-world analogy to it, but like everything in Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, is founded on cosmic radiation, where Silver Surfer gets his powers, where the Fantastic Four get their powers, what they need to detect in order to figure out what what's going on, they need a cosmic radiation detector, a cosmic radiation field disruptor. So that's why a lot of the science is just gobbledygook because it's all founded on this fictional radiation. But it's not as fictional as you might think. 
What? Yeah, there are um, particles, I guess is the best word for them, called cosmic rays. And basically, they are incredibly high-energy particles. Like, the, the Large Hadron Collider, the world's biggest particle accelerator, millions of times more energetic than what they produce there. Um, and they fly through space, and we can detect them on Earth, and they just deliver a ton of energy. There's not very, you know, they're not all that common, but there's a bunch passing through you right now, I'm guessing. I feel violated. Yeah. No, it, they're actually really, really interesting. They, um, when they discovered them, they thought it was, uh, you know, a problem with their detector because they're like, nothing should have energies this high. This makes no sense. Um, and they, they determined that there's like a few sources of them in the universe, and it's from um, like the most high energy events in the solar system, which makes sense because they're high energy particles. So like supernova. Um, stuff going on in the centers of galaxies, um, like big, unusual stars like quasars, you know, the, they're mm-hmm. cosmic rays. And, and, and you know, it, it, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't turn your, uh, they wouldn't give you superpowers. Oh, um, that was my next question. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, one thing that's interesting is that um, they have enough energy to flip bits in transistors, especially in satellites. Oh. So, um, they estimate... Is that why my my TV doesn't work sometimes? Actually, um, on an old-school TV where you, like, it actually picked up airwave signals and you turned it between two channels, Mm -hmm. a certain percentage of that static is cosmic rays passing through your TV. What? I That's forget what percentage cool. it is. It's not that high, but you can see cosmic rays just at your probably not your own house because no one has these kind of TVs anymore. But yeah, uh, is cosmic ray sort of like a blanket term for all of the radiation, the the vast amounts of different radiation in space that we don't understand, or is this a very specific it's, kind of particle? It's it's a specific kind of radiation. It's very high energy. And it comes from certain sources, certain types of events and stars produce cosmic rays. Oh, okay. Well, basically, they're really high energy. That's actually pretty cool. Can we have we have are there studies to try and harness this? Um. Well, they just pass right through pretty much everything. Oh, because they're just too too energetic that you can't contain them. Well, and when they reach Earth's atmosphere, our magnetic field kind of either deflects them or, you know, makes them lose a bunch of energy. So um, that's why, that's a good thing, because if as many cosmic rays reached Earth as enter our atmosphere, uh, life would not exist. The DNA would just be shredded to pieces before it could, you know, develop. That's like, they should talk about that stuff in Fantastic Four. It's that would actually be rays. really cool are probably the single biggest deterrent to interstellar travel. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. How do you... Because they're incredibly high energy, and it doesn't affect us much on Earth because of our atmosphere and our magnetic field. So how do you prevent people from having their DNA completely vaporized by these? 
when they're in interstellar space with no atmosphere, no magnetic fields. Holy cow. It is the single biggest deterrent. Well, okay. It is one of the single biggest. It is a deterrent to interstellar travel. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's more out there. <laughs> so, yeah, cos- cosmic radiation, it's comic bookified, but not, not as made up as, as you might think. Yeah, okay, because, you know, I guess, I, I'm assuming Stanley did not know this when he made the Fantastic Four, but... I'm guessing he did. Oh, it's like, pretty it's, on, and... It's not impossible. Cosmic Rays were well understood by the time he would have been creating these characters. Okay, because that's what, I mean, that's where the Fantastic Four spawn. They travel into space, a wave of cosmic radiation comes and scrambles their DNA and turns them into fantastic superheroes. Yep, in real life, it would just, you wouldn't even get cancer, it would kill you faster than that. Yeah, so yeah, like, similar how gamma radiation was, it's a real thing, but in the fictional Marvel world, it gives you superpowers. In real life, it'll just in give you cancer. In real life, you would, you would, no, you would start vomiting blood, and then your organs would start to fail. Yeah, 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 because yeah, every, everything's on, getting ionized. We, we talked read, about this Incredible Hulk, kids. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you read, um... What If by Randall Monroe, creator of the comic XKCD. He has a chapter in there about what would happen if all your DNA suddenly vanished. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what would happen if you were exposed to cosmic rays directly. Ballin'. All right, any more science you want to talk about, Ben? That's all I got. This was a pretty good one, but, you know, not because of anything in the movie. Okay. Uh, I was going to say we should move along to fun facts, but honestly, I got out all my fun facts mid-discussion. Yeah. Did anybody else have any lingering ones out there? No. No, I think this one kind of speaks for itself. Okay. Then we do have one tweet this week outside of our usual supply from Twitter Tom that just says, you guys are awesome, which we always appreciate, Twitter Tom. You're the best as well. We got a, a, a currently in the middle of a Twitter campaign that involves me giving all of our Twitter followers a superhero name, um, and one of our followers is known as Mustache Pi, aka at Swami two two seven, and I gave him the superhero name the Stash, with the ability to solve every situation with just his mustache, no explanation necessary, uh, just. Somehow the story works itself into that the situation is resolved because he has a fantastic mustache. I'm envisioning I'm I'm envisioning like a handlebar mustache, but then like the 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 droopy part is like prehensile. Yeah, yeah like bobo 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 bobo, but not nostril hair, because that's what that is. <laughs> what the hell? That's yeah, that was an anime. All right, I I just okay. made a sick anime reference. Good um, for you. But he tweeted back at us, and, and, and his, his tweet was, By day, unassuming antique shop bouncer, Russ, the Walrus Chevron. By night, <laughs> the stash. <laughs> antique shop bouncer. We have to say, Mustache P.I., that is Twitter gold that you handed us. <laughs> antique shop bouncer. Antique shop bouncer. Russ, the Walrus Chevron, which we know is not your real name. <laughs> so you made that up, and it's gold. So we just wanted to give you a shout-out for such an amazing tweet. Okay, but uh, other than that, 
unless anyone has really wants to dig deep into because of this movie, even though we haven't done them in a while, we haven't really been prepping them is kind of the thing. No? I got no. Uh, um, hold on. I'm trying to think of a good porn title. Oh, of course, because because of this movie turned into not because of this movie anymore, but what can porn title can we make out of this film? Uh, Rise of the Golden Shower. Oh, I hate myself. No, 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 no. Uh, what's what's something dirty that starts with the letter S? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> Sex. Yeah, see? Yeah, we don't... Oh. <laughs> uh... Rise, of the Sil- Rise of the Silver Schlong. Rise of the Silver Steamer. Oh, God. <laughs> Can we cut this whole section? See, see, yeah, we don't want to do this anymore. But I it's not funny. We gotta, no. uh, we gotta know forced. if the, the fans... Eh, it's too forced. It's too forced. Um... Uh, I might still leave it in though because <laughs> just because of our reaction to <laughs> how much we hate it, but we still like it at the same time. I do really hate it. Uh, okay, uh, okay. So, so that looks like it's gonna wrap it up for today's super fan superhero movie club is recorded and produced by Triop Cop Productions website pending. If you would like, if you like what you hear, show us your support by rating us on iTunes. Uh, it doesn't cost you a single monetary value of any worth, but what it does pay back is warm, fuzzy feelings towards us. So if you have not rated us on iTunes, that is how we can we can expose ourselves to new fans and grow oh, the community raising, and talk to more raising. people. What? We don't what? want to expose ourselves to anyone. Uh, well, just, I'm not allowed to use the word expose at all anymore. No, but you have to watch your phrasing. Ugh. We're going to expose... SHMC is going to expose Full Frontal completely to all of its fans, and we want as many viewers as possible. And, and, and Ben's going to be at the forefront of this extreme Full Frontal exposure I, uh, that we're doing well, through social media. And all of our podcast episodes. So please rate us on iTunes. I I will not be involved in any of that. I'm just going to encourage uh, people to head to reddit.com/r/superheromovieclub uh, because what brings me warm fuzzies is not ratings on iTunes, but when people uh, continue discussing the movie on the subreddit, um, it's been good so far. People have been like, "Hey Ben, you're full of shit," and I'm like, "Well, you know." Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> tell me I'm you're wrong, but tell me why. <laughs> yeah, don't just yell at me. Be like, you're wrong, and I'm right, and here's why. And I'll be We've actually gotten some great discussions. It's been good, yeah. We also have another outlet for you to tell Ben he's wrong. Uh, our Twitter page, at SuperheroMC. Uh, go on there, give us your comments, whatnot. And if you follow us on Twitter, I will definitely give you a superhero name with an absurd ability based on what I know about your previous tweets and your Twitter handle name. Well, that'll do it today. Then, I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Skyler Houtsma. And Ben Anderson. Without the pause! Oh! Yeah, I'm giving up the pause. He's evolving into a different person. We all. This isn't even here. my final form. <laughs> I hope you all have a super week.